Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. If you have found that, if you would please stand for the reading of the Scriptures. Joshua chapter 1. And uh, tonight we're going to give an overview of the book. At least the very best I can. An overview of the book of Joshua. And then next week we'll begin back in Joshua 1, working verse by verse through the book. Let's read the first five verses here by way of introduction this evening. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, uh, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even into the greater river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. We're going to look at an overview of the book of Joshua, the title of the message this evening is this, Go Get Them, Go Get Them. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now it was time to go into their promised land and take ownership of it, take possession of it. And listen, church, God has something for you this year He wants you to go get. You've wandered around in mediocrity long enough. This is the year where you go get it. This is the year where our church goes and gets it. So let's look at this tonight. We're going to look at the book and uh, we'll see how God moves in our hearts tonight. Lord, I pray this evening you would, uh, Lord, speak uh, through me. Lord, I just want to be an instrument, uh, Lord, in your hand. Uh, as you have spoken through so many, through the scriptures, all I ask is that uh, it not be about me, it be about you and it be about your word. And Lord, tonight we want to leave here knowing we got something from God's word to help us. And so, Lord, minister to hearts, exhort us, uh, rebuke us. Lord, uh, show us uh, the right way forward and may we respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the great prophet Moses, who had led them across the Red Sea, delivered them out of captivity and slavery, led them through Egypt and had been their leader for many, many years, was now dead. God had chosen Joshua to be Israel's new leader, uh, Israel's new generation. Those who were 20 and under at the events of Kadesh Barnea, where they said, we be not able, we are but like grasshoppers in their sight. God condemned all of those uh, 20 and older to die, or rather all those 21 and older to die. Those 20 and older would raise up and take on uh, this feat of conquering their promised land. It's now 40 years removed from that. The Israelites are 60 and under in age, and except for Joshua and Caleb. And now they're ready to go in. They're poised and prepared for victory. They were ready now to do it God's way. It was time for God's chosen people to go and possess the land that God had chosen for them. Receiving God's promised land and gaining victory required two basic things. Here's what it required. They fully trust in God and his leader. That's one. And two, they defeat the pagan people 
who possessed the land. Church, the same is true for Christians who want to live a victorious Christian life. Now, don't check out on me here. This is very important. The promised land cannot is not paralleled to heaven in the Bible. The promised land is not a picture of heaven in the Bible. The promised land in Scripture, the Israel's, Israelites will go in and possess, is a picture of the victorious Christian life available to each one of us. You see, many of us, we walk around the deserts of carnality and uh, the deserts of selfishness and the deserts of laziness and the deserts of prayerlessness, but God wants us to march across the Jordan River and take on our promised land and live a Christian life that is victorious. And just like they had to fully trust God and His leader and had to defeat the pagan people who possessed the land, we must have full trust in God and our spiritual leaders and to work to defeat the sinful habits and pagan desires that lie within our hearts for spiritual growth. I believe that victory for the Christian is attainable if he is willing to pay the price of being dedicated to trusting God and fighting the flesh. Trusting God and fighting the flesh. Let's summarize the book of Joshua this evening by looking at Five key thoughts. All right, let's jump in here. Number one, if you have that uh, half sheet outline, let's take notes. Notice number one, God's promise to prosper Israel. God's promise to prosper Israel. Now, the book of Joshua opens with God promising his people three different ways that he will prosper his people. Let's look at these three ways. Letter A, notice a land of promise, a land of of promise. Look at me back in Joshua 1. Look at verse number 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. It's already a foregone conclusion, he says. As I said unto Moses, look here, we're given a description of the land from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea, Toward the going down of the sun uh, shall be your coast. Uh, preaching through the book of Isaiah, I went back and studied this passage. This is uh, this is an area larger than the state of Texas. This is an area uh, of a square mileage that Israel has never attained and never had full possession of. Even at the conclusion of the book of Joshua, they did not have control over all this land. So we know that God giving uh, Israel property has still not yet totally been fulfilled because Joshua 1, 3 and 4 has not yet been totally realized. Some people point at the book of Joshua and wonder how we could call our God loving while he had, and I use scare quotes here, uh, genocide committed against the people who live in Canaan. Some uh, years back, a famous politician, and to, to avoid being confrontational or, or, uh, or, or to avoid conflict tonight, I won't give the politician's name, but there was a politician some years back who said that uh, was uh, being an Islamic apologist, and, and he said, uh, I think we have to be careful labeling the, the, the Muslims a people of Genocide. The Christians have had their time in the book of Joshua of genocide uh, as well. And I have to say this evening that this claim against our God, that he is a God of genocide, is straight up false. God, uh, here's what we need to understand tonight. God is the giver and taker of life. He's the giver and taker of life. God is allowed to have anybody eliminated off this planet that he sees fit. 
Now, you may not like that, but that's just the truth of how this works. God is in charge. He owes us no explanations. You all understand that this evening? If God looks at a people group and decides that their time on this planet is over and he orders them to be eliminated, he is God. He can do as he wishes. And you and I are not to argue with that. You and I are not to push against that. And uh, the people uh, who don't, who, who point this out, they fail to understand that God is not held to the very rules that he put in place for us, I was talking to Carl down here uh, yesterday. We were out soul winning together and uh, we were talking about something similar to this. And I said, it'd be like a mom and dad who uh, said to their kids, you're not allowed to have any cookies between 2 and 4 p.m. And the child walks in the kitchen and sees mom standing there munching on a cookie. And uh, the child says, I thought we weren't allowed to have cookies between 2 and 4 p.m. The mom would fire back. No, you're not allowed to have a cookie between two and four. I can have a cookie whenever I so please. I'm in charge. I'm the Lord of the cookies. Amen? And Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. He could eat on the Sabbath. Listen, uh, God tells us, thou shalt not kill. But you understand, of all of the people that die every day, the Lord signs off on that prior to their death. He is the giver of life. He is the taker of life. He is the sustainer of life. And when God says it's time for someone to go, uh, listen, uh, we don't need to question God. We need to trust God. It is His place to dictate morality to us. It is not our place to dictate morality to Him. Nevertheless, God promised this land to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, God was only coming through on his word by giving this land to his chosen people. Now, quickly, uh, to reiterate what I said a few moments ago, the promised land to the Israelites is a symbol of the victorious Christian life to us. God promises to give you victory, but listen up now, you must do it his way. You have to do it his way. You can't have a victorious Christian life on your terms. No, it's all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. As the song says, I surrender all. Lord, I'm going to do it your way. Remember the Israelites, uh, when they were getting ready, we'll look at this in the, in the weeks to come, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River where they'll take on uh, the, uh, the, the enemy and, and they're moving across. And the, the Jordan River was there and it was flood season, harvest season, so the water was uh, too high for them just to walk through at waist deep. And, and God had the, the priest take the Ark of the Covenant and they had to put their foot into the water and once their foot was in the water and they were ankle deep and maybe even knee deep, then He parted the water. You see, they had to obey before they saw uh, the miracle there. And uh, God wants us to obey. How about Jericho? Jericho. You may remember they came to that first city of Jericho. And uh, God said this. He said, I want you to walk around the city once a day for six days and don't say a word. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. And then I want you to blow into a trumpet and shout. And then the Bible says, I will not, God told them, I will knock the walls down. Now, I just have to say, that is, uh, and, and that's exactly how it happened. That is an amazing story. From a military um, planning standpoint, that's crazy. That's crazy. We're just going to walk around the city once a day for six days, walk around seven days on the seventh day, and blow, but you know what they did? 
It didn't have to make sense tactically. You know what it did? They trusted God and God wrought a great victory. You want a land of promise. You want to live the victorious Christian life. It doesn't all have to check out and be logical and make sense. What you need to do is say, Lord, you're greater than I. I'm going to trust and obey. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. Number one, we see God's promise to prosper Israel. Letter A, a land of promise. Letter B, notice a leader that was prepared. Look back at Joshua 1 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, go over this Jordan, um, uh, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Turn over there quickly if you would. For any body of people to be successful, there must be people who are willing to follow the leader and there must be, there must be a competent God-led leader. Uh, there must be a leader. He must be competent. He must be God-led. He must be God-surrendered. And he must lead the people. And this was Joshua. Joshua was the leader chosen to follow Moses. But Joshua was not just picked uh, by drawing straws or pulling a name out of a hat or saying, Hey, you look like you're good enough. Get up there and lead us. No, Joshua had prepared for this moment. Look at Exodus 33 and verse 11 and the Bible says and the Lord by, by the way before we read this God was ready God was ready to depart from Israel and let them walk alone and Moses he took the tabernacle he moved it outside of the camp in this passage and he he goes in and he has a very private conversation with God that is only uh, dictated by a dash in scripture we don't know what that dash means but we know that Moses and God had a great conversation. And as a result of that conversation, the Lord changed his mind. He repented and said, okay, I will dwell with Israel. And after this conversation, we find Exodus 33, verse 11. The Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. So he leaves the tabernacle. He turns again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Moses and Joshua alone had gone in the tabernacle to pray. Moses had a conversation with God face to face while Joshua was on his knees uh, mediating and praying for, uh, for restoration for uh, the Israelites. And when Moses finished that conversation with God, Joshua stayed right there on his face. He stayed right there praying. He, he, he stayed in love with God. You see, his heart was bent toward God while all of the rest of his peers, save Caleb, were running from God and worshiping their own thought processes. We get to the story of Kadesh Barnea. I believe that's Numbers chapter 11. Uh, and what do you have? You have the 12 men sent, one from each tribe, sent in to spy out the land. They come back with the grapes of Eskel, so large that it had to be carried uh, on uh, shoulders by two men on a stick. And uh, they come back speaking of the wonderful land. 
ten men stand up on one rock and two men, Joshua and Caleb, stand on the other rock. And uh, the ten men talk about how wonderful it is and how great it is and how, how, uh, how robust the land is. There's milk and honey that flows. And then the ten men say, but we be not able. Joshua and Caleb stood over there and said, hey, you're right. We be not able, but let me tell you who is able. Our God is able. And God said as a result of the, of the people of Israel choosing to side with the ten men, He said, you will not enter the promised land. Save Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else will die in the wilderness. Joshua was a leader who was prepared. Let me speak to our teenagers this evening. We have many teenagers in the room. You see, you don't just wake up one day in your 20s and 30s and pastor a church. To our teenage girls, you don't just wake up one day in your 20s and 30s and be a missionary or serve God in a church ministry. You understand that the preparation to lead God's people in front of a church one day begins right now in your teen years. Right now. You, de- you determine and decide that you're going to fall in love with God. You may, you may look at adults who've grown complacent in their faith and who have plateaued in their faith and don't want to grow anymore. And you know what? There ought to be a fire and a passion that burns in your heart like burned in Joshua's heart and say, God, I don't know how You're going to use me one day. And I don't know what You have in store for my future one day. But beginning right now, I'm going to be a young man or a young woman who loves You with all my heart. And because I love you with all my heart, you guide my steps, you direct my steps, and I will become anything that you want me to become. I will do anything that you want me to do. You see, Joshua, well before he was chosen to be the leader, he gave his heart to the Lord. Joshua was a leader that was prepared. We see a land of promise. We see a leader that was prepared. Let her see. We see a Lord that was always present a Lord that was always present. Go back to Joshua 1 with me and look at verse number 5. It says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Joshua and the Israelites would face many tough days ahead. They would have... Ai and uh, Achan and the whole story we'll look at uh, here in the next few weeks of Achan stealing of uh, the the stuff, the goodly Babylonian garment and the gold and the silver and and that leading to the death of 38 or 39 of Israel's most uh, chosen soldiers and uh, that that would be a tough time. They would have uh, the covenant with the lying Gibeonites. We'll see that also here in the weeks to come and uh, they would fail to seek God's face. They would have uh, hard days ahead of them for sure. Joshua need to reflect back on God's promise to be with him. Likewise, we have God's promise that He indwells us and comforts us through times in our lives. How many of you this evening understand there are times where you're, you just haven't been very faithful to God? You've had seasons in your life where you were just flat carnal. God has never once betrayed you. Even in your worst moments as a backslidden Christian, your God has always been faithful to you. Aren't you glad? He promises in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. 
a Lord that was always present. And we have a God, a Lord, who is always present in our life. On our good days and on our bad days. You know, sometimes I can be such a knucklehead that my family's like, just go away. Just get out of here. Right? Leave. And I may get in my vehicle and go for a drive to clear my head. You know who gets in the truck with me when I go? The Lord's right there. He's right there. And He says, you know what? You're a cantankerous cuss today, but I love you all the same. You can't get rid of me. David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. No matter where I go, you're with me. All the time. I'm with, uh, the Lord is with me all the time. And praise God that He is always present to help us fight our battles and live a victorious Christian life. So we see, number one, God's promise to prosper Israel. And God has promised to prosper you if you'll obey Him and if you'll follow Him. Number two, we see God's prototype to bless Israel. God's prototype to bless Israel. Now, if you're like me, you want an A, B, and C of how to get guaranteed results. Amen? Uh, uh, over my years of being an adult, I have purchased enough um, some assembly required furniture. All right? Uh, I have made a vow that I will never buy an IKEA product ever again. Amen? Uh, I think IKEA goes out of their way to make it extra difficult on purpose and then they give you the directions in another language and you're sitting there going, I, 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 I. and uh, you know, it, it, it's, um, I'm not smart enough to purchase IKEA. Amen? I told my kids, I said, I think Satan's headquarters is IKEA. Amen? I hate that place. Uh, my wife and daughter love that place. I said, you can go in there and buy plants and, and uh, rugs, but you can't buy anything that requires a, a wrench or a a hex key. I hate the hex key. Amen. Uh, a lot of this self-made furniture or self-assembly furniture requires hex key. But you know what I appreciate when I buy some self-assembly furniture or some assembly required furniture is a good instruction manual. Doesn't that make all the difference? You open that thing up and they might have it in two, three, four languages. I don't mind that. But I want the English version. I want to be able to understand it. And I want the I want the pictures to match what I'm supposed to do. And uh, you know what? You feel really good about yourself when you get that thing put together, right? I put that thing together and I said it. I'm gonna say, I'm a real man. Look at that right there. Amen. Uh, it's uh, when I'm throwing my wrench across the room on the poorly written manual that I don't feel so uh, much like a man. And I'm oh, who put this manual together? You know what? We have a manual that lays out for us. How to have success as a Christian life. Joshua chapter 1, God gives us his prototype of how he wants to bless Israel. And you know what? What's laid out here in Joshua chapter 1 was not just true for the Israelites in conquering their promised land. This is true for me and you with living a victorious Christian life. Letter A, if you want to be success in life, then pay close attention. Letter A, follow God's commands. Follow God's commands. Look at Joshua 1. Look at verse number 7. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or, nor, uh, uh, or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whither thou goest. So, hey, it's just this simple. When God commands you to do something, hey, just do it. Just do it. Hey, listen, I can't give you any more simplistic preaching than that. When God says do this... Do it. When God says don't do this, then, then don't do it. Amen? Letter B. We see favor God's word. Favor God's word. Hey, if you can get letter A down, you're, you're, you're most of the way there. Look at Joshua 1. Look at verse 8. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way, there's that word a second time, prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. To my knowledge, this is the only time in the King James Bible you find the word success. Right here, Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8. You want success? Joshua 1, 8 lays out exactly how it is we find success. We are to follow God's command. We're to favor God's word. How much do you love your Bible? How much do you love your Bible? I, I don't mean to get weird about this, but uh, when I was uh, engaged to Angela, we were apart for the last five months of our engagement, and I was working a, a job, and I had a picture of her I'd keep uh, in my car, and I'd put that picture right there by my speedometer to remind me not to drive too fast because I wanted to make it to my wedding day, amen? But I would look at that picture, and I would cherish her, the thought and memory of her since I didn't have her in my presence, and, and uh, looking down at that picture, there was a flood of emotion that would come over me. Can I tell you, to someone who loves God and loves His Word, you ought to be able to glance down at your Bible and feel something on the inside, because that book has made such an impact in your life. There ought to be a cherishing of the Bible. There ought to be a reverence of the Bible. I have told you through the years that I, I work not to put any other object on top of my Bible. And, I, and if you do that, that's okay. I'm not saying you're, you're sinning by doing that. But, but I, I, don't, I don't want anything on top of my Bible. One time I came in my office and, and uh, someone had put a check down on my, a reimbursement check down on my desk and had set it on top of my Bible. And oh man, I really quit. I don't want money to be on top of God's Word. No, God's Word ought to be the thing that is symbolically on top. I, 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 it hurts my heart to see Bibles laying on a floor and Bibles that are just disregarded and not loved. This book right here, the book that you hold in your laps, we ought to cherish that. Not only the paper and ink and the binding, uh, more importantly, the laws that are inside there, uh, the, the commands that make it up. Why? Because they are given to us so that we have a formula for life success. Letter C, not only we're to follow God's commands and favor God's word, letter C, notice, we're to focus on God's continual presence. Look at Joshua 1 verse 9. Have not, not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Here's how you avoid fear. Here's how you avoid anxiety. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. We focus on God's continual presence. That realization that He's with us everywhere we go. We see thought number one, God's promise to prosper Israel. Thought number two, God's prototype to bless Israel. Number three, Israel's plan to remember God. Israel's plan to remember God. We find in the book of Joshua three ways in which Israel showed God how they would remember Him and uh, the generations to follow would remember him as well. Letter A, notice a visual shrine or a rock memorial. A visual shrine or a rock memorial. Turn over to Joshua 4. Joshua 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass. Read along with me. It came to pass when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men 
out of the people, out of every tribe, a man and a command ye them saying, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, 12 stones and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, one out of every tribe, a man. And Joshua said unto them, pass over before the ark of the Lord, your God into the midst of Jordan and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what may, what mean ye by these stones that ye shall answer them? Then the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones uh, should be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Joshua as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan and uh, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there unto this day, at least at, unto the day of the writing of this passage. And what did they do? They took the time to set up a shrine, a memorial, so that when the generations to come would see it, they would say, hey, why are these rocks right here by the Jordan River? And the answer would be, those rocks were put there out of the Jordan River bed as it was parted, as God parted this water so that you could have this land. It's important, uh, moms and dads, that we have some things that we can physically point to and look at and tell our children, hey, God did this wonderful thing in our lives. And uh, God uh, showed Himself strong and real right here. A visual shrine. I remember uh, I uh, took uh, Matthew on a trip back down to Baltimore uh, uh, to go to a baseball game a couple of years ago. We had a day there in Baltimore uh, to spend, and so I drove him around to all of the places where he lived uh, as a newborn. I took him to the hospital where he was born, and I showed him uh, the apartment we brought him home to, and then the apartment we moved to next, and then on down to Glen Burnie where we had uh, lived there. And uh, I, I stood there, and I told him of stories of how God did mighty and, and, and powerful things in our lives, standing right there, a place to look at. But the Israelites actually had a rock memorial. But notice letter B, a physical separation. Notice the word circumcision here. Joshua chapter 5. Look at Joshua chapter number 5. It came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their hearts melted. Neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel 
the second time. And so one thing that separated the Jewish men from uh, the, the Gentile men was that the Jewish men had gone through a circumcision. This should have been done uh, when they were uh, uh, newborns, but it had not been done. And so prior to them coming over and conquering uh, this time of, uh, of, of a physical separation took place. And I want to say this evening that uh, we need to do some things in our lives that separate us from the world. Uh, there is a physical separation from the world where we're not like the world. We're not like the world. Hey, why don't we go here? You know why? Because we don't want to participate in the world's systems and cultures. And why don't we listen to this? Or why don't we do that? Because we're different from the world. The Bible says that we're to be a peculiar people, a people who are set apart for a holy calling. If you're going to live, listen to this now, if you're going to live a victorious Christian life, then you don't get to live like the world. Amen? Amen? There needs to be a difference between the way you live and your godless neighbor lives who wants nothing to do with church of the Lord. Now, we don't look down our noses at them. We pray for them. Hey, but listen, there ought to be some things about you that are different. If I were to go to your work tomorrow and I were to casually observe at a distance your behavior, your language, the music you listen to, the conversations that you have, and then I were to observe those same things by a secular co-worker who wants nothing to do with God or church, how much separation would there be between the way you do it and the way they do it? You understand this. We can't reach the world by being like them. We reach the world by being a contrast to them. These, these Canaanites, these Hittites... All of these people that lived there uh, in uh, the, the, uh, the uh, promised land to come, they feared the Israelites because they were different. They were God's people. Let her see, notice, an annual sanctification. Look down at Joshua 5, look at verse 10. The Bible says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. They, they, they took the time to sanctify themselves. They took the time uh, to prepare themselves spiritually. They held to the rituals of the Passover that had begun way back in Egypt at their deliverance some 40 plus years prior. There was an annual 
sanctification. And we'll get into uh, all the, uh, the applications of that uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. Let's, let's move on. Number four here. Notice God's process in distributing the land of Israel. As the story goes, they would conquer the land. They would go in and uh, they would defeat the enemies. And they would, uh, uh, kings would, uh, would come and lead together and bring their cities together. And Israel would conquer many at one time. And God gave them great deliverance. And they uh, subdued the land. Joshua 13. Turn over there. Joshua 13. Look down with me at verse number 7. Joshua 13 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Now therefore, here's the Lord speaking to Joshua, divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and half tribe of Manasseh. So two and a half tribes would go back across Jordan and they would conquer, uh, or rather they would inhabit that land that was set up prior, but nine and a half tribes would be on that side of uh, of um, uh, the, the Jordan. Some interesting thoughts here. Judah was given the prime territory. Judah was Israel's firstborn, and so this was his birthright. And uh, as you know, uh, through through history of Israel, uh, we know that the, the kingdom would end up being divided, right? And you'd end up with Judah and Benjamin uh, be, making up the southern kingdom, and you have the ten northern tribes that would divide away. But in the division of these lands, because Judah was the eldest, uh, he would get the prime territories, his birthright. Here's another uh, uh, factoid. Simeon was given his allotment of land within the borders of Judah. Uh, Judah had more land than needed, so they shared their land with the tribe of Simeon. Instead of Joseph getting a single portion, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, these were Joseph's sons, each got a separate portion of land. And as you read through uh, the um, uh, story of, of Joseph out of Genesis 37 through 51, you see that Joseph rose above. Remember the ten stars that bowed down to his star? And, uh, or rather, the, uh, let's see, the, the ten hay bells that bowed down to his and uh, the eleven hay bells that bowed down. There it is. And then you had the eleven hay bells and then the sun and the moon that bowed down to his star. And, and what happened with uh, what happened here with Joseph? Uh, he rose in power and he ended up saving his family from starvation as they had mistreated him. And now, as a result, he is given uh, two territories. Now, listen, just a quick note here. Eventually, you reap what you sow. Amen? You reap what you sow. Simeon and his behavior... Uh, he ended up being uh, uh, stuck inside of Judah for some untoward behavior. Joseph, for his behavior, do you know what he did? Uh, pay attention up here. You know what he did? Uh, he, uh, he, he was able uh, to get two territories for his people. And God blesses when we're faithful and loving to him. Levi was not given their own territory. Here's one last uh, thing I want to point out. Levi was not given their own territory. Joshua 13, 14 tells us that God was the inheritance of Levi. They didn't get a territory because God was their inheritance. The children of Levi had individual cities within all 12 tribes, but God did not want the Levites focusing on land and properties. Rather, he wanted them focusing on his work. All right, one more thought this evening here. Let's wrap this up. Number five, notice Joshua's plea to Israel for faithfulness to God. Joshua 24. Let's go there. Joshua 24 
and verse 15, verses 15 and 16. And this is the famous challenge. I know many of you here, if not all of you here, know the context. Uh, Israel's been gathered. Joshua now is nearing the end. He's going to challenge the Israelites as a whole one more time. And we find this challenge and, and here in 15 and 16. Joshua says to all the Israelites, he says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But, Joshua says, as for me and my house, read that with me, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Look down at verse 30. We see that this generation kept their word. Look down at verse 30. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua. And which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. These people saw God give them victory. And as a result, they were loyal to God all the way to the grave. I want to conclude the sermon this evening by asking you to look at where you are in your Christian life right now. As the pastor of this church and someone who prays over the flock, loves the flock, asks God to give me insight on what you all battle with and struggle with, no doubt there are Christians here who are enjoying the promised land of the victorious Christian life. But I believe that many of those who call this church their church are wandering in the wilderness of carnality. And can I tell you tonight, if that's where you are, you're missing out on why God saved you. God saved you. He brought you through the Red Sea through the blood to be saved, out of Egypt, the land of sin. He saved you to quickly march you through a carnal life and into a life of spiritual victory. Hey, listen to me tonight. Listen to me. If you're wandering in the wilderness of carnality, then tonight what you need to do is ask the Lord that this calendar year is the year you cross out of carnality and experience what it means to live a victorious Christian life. Amen? Now listen, church. Listen to me. It's on you to be honest with yourself. It's on you to self-examine. I've known many Christians who have been in the wilderness, spent some time in the promised land, went back across the Jordan River to wander back in the wilderness. Can we take a few minutes tonight and ask God to show us right where we are? Can we ask God to help us that this calendar year we move into living a life of great victory? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. You see, it takes three months at a slow pace to walk from Egypt 
to the Jordan River. Three months. But the Israelites spent 40 years there. I've known so many Christians that wander in carnality for decades. They go to church, but boy, they're carnal. Are you tired of that carnality? Are you ready to experience the Christian life as God intended? Are you ready for victory? Some of you plateaued a long time ago in your faith. It's time to look at those mountains like Caleb did and say, I want that mountain. I want to achieve new heights for the Lord. I want to be closer to my God. I want to know what it's like to live in victory. Not be constantly strapped to the defeat of sin. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd prick our hearts. Show us where we are. Lord, may we grow this year out of bondage into deliverance. May we go from being people of unbelief to being people of belief. Lord God, help us. Show us. Work with us each one tonight. In Jesus' name.